Welcome. Glad we can spend some time together, whether you're online or whether you're in the room. There's a contemporary Christian song that's out there on Christian radio right now that that talks about, you know, I want to go back to the basics. I want to go back to Jesus loves me, this I know. I want to go back to this little gospel light of mine. And that's a good thing, no matter how long that you have been in the faith, to, to go back to the foundation. In fact, if, if you don't go back to the foundation, if you don't go back to only Jesus, there's a danger that the Christian faith can become a faith of expectations, things that you should avoid, things that you should do. Without Jesus, you know, our faith becomes oppressive. And so we're going back to only Jesus. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth, Lord, may they truly be what you would have your folks to hear. Lord, and if I misstep, then, then correct in the hearing of your people an understanding of your proper expectations, your proper expression of concern and affirmation of love and encouragement for them. So may the words of my mouth be faithful and true. But may the hearts of all the assembled, Lord, and the thoughts that are uh, racing through our minds on any given moment, any given day, settle us for a moment, Lord. Let us be still and know that you are God. So my words, their thoughts, Lord, let them come in tune with you the Lord and maker of us all, who loved us so much he sent his son. This we pray in Christ. Amen. Well, aren't you excited that the year is half over? Some kid in the back of the room with the last year said, no! You know, like, see, they're already talking about getting back to school. You know, like, come on, let's just enjoy the moment for a bit. But it's true. You know, it's the first week in July, according to the calendar that we're listening to right now. And, and, uh, it's a good time to stop and reflect. In fact, in almost every sports team, you will find that they take a halftime. They take some time out. And they think about, okay, here's what we've been doing. Here's what we probably want to do. In fact, Major League Baseball is looking at the all-star break. You know, it's kind of mid-season. And on July 11th, they're going to gather down in, you know, Marlin Park down in Miami. And they're going to have this all-star game. But while that's going on, you know that managers and owners of various teams are, are analyzing where does their team stand? You know, is this our year or not our year? And if it's not our year, they're thinking, how can we leverage our assets that we have now? Because there are teams that are looking, you know, to build a team for the future. And there are other teams that say, you know, we can make a run at this thing. You know, we just need a bat or we need some defense or we need something else. And, and so they assess, they stop and assess what needs to be done? You know, every team goes into the locker room at halftime and they assess their progress and they come out with a different game plan. It's interesting to watch the NFL, how the second half can be completely different than the first half if they have the right coach. Well, there was a man in uh, Texas named Bob Buford who said that shouldn't only be true of sports teams, that should be true of people. You know, we should stop and kind of assess. You know, we're in the middle of the year, stop and assess. Is this where you thought you were headed this year? If not, why not? And what can be done differently? Or, or what can you continue to do or strengthen to do? And that's true of life as well. In fact, he had been very successful in business. He had established way back when the idea of cable TV was just getting started. He understood the, the brilliance of it and the future of it. And he began to acquire cable channels throughout the United States in various markets. And in fact, it became so big, he gave it a name, called it Daystar. And as a result, he became a, a multimillionaire over this. And then he realized 
how empty mere success was. And he wrote a book called Halftime. And it was about moving from success to significance, realizing that success itself won't ultimately satisfy. George Bernard Shaw said, there are two great sources of unhappiness or dissatisfaction in life. When you don't get what you want and when you do get what you want. So what is the key to happiness? You know, for Bob Buford, it was moving from success to significance. And for him as a Christian, it was even eternal significance. He used his wealth to buy a business, an office building in downtown Dallas. And he dedicated a lot of that space to the training of Christian leaders in leadership qualities. Because, you know, Christian leaders are trained in theology, but not necessarily business skills, not necessarily leadership. In fact, our staff has been invited and we've attended some of those trainings. All we have to do is get the plane fare to get there. And uh, because of his generosity and the generosity of others like him, that Christian leadership network is available to people like us. So that's a great blessing. He's done other things as well. And... uh, He's truly finding satisfaction these days. He went on to say, for the second half to be better than the first, you must make the choice to step outside the safety of being on autopilot, doing today what you did yesterday and doing tomorrow what you're doing today. You must wrestle with who you are, what you believe and profess to believe, and what you do to provide meaning to your daily activity and relationships. Now, Pastor Garrett in that video a minute ago talked about you know, how intentional we are in planning our worship series and, in fact, planning our entire year. And uh, out of that comes also other activities that align you know, with our worship plans. One of the things that we also do is, is we write deeper questions, going deeper questions. And they're available online. This entire week is going to be about true, success, true satisfaction because that's what today is about based on a story from John 4 we're going to get to in a minute. And uh, those are also available in book form. They're written just for us. And they're based on the text that we're about to study. And, and I was taking a look at that. And there's some questions that are germane to the point today. And let me just ask them of you, a few, on one of the days. What brings you the greatest satisfaction in life? Right now, what is it that brings you the greatest satisfaction? Do you believe that your life is important? If so, in what way? And if not, why not? Does your life matter? Are you making a difference in things that are of eternal consequence? And if you had the ability, and and we all do to a degree, what one thing would you change to increase your sense of personal significance? What one thing could you change? Do you think most people believe that doing big stuff is the same as doing important stuff? Do you think God believes that? Or could you do stuff that no one notices that it would be important to God? These are things that we should wrestle with. We should take time out and address what provides personal sense of true satisfaction. It's interesting to me that that Jesus had this discussion with a woman that most people of any kind of reputation would probably not even talk to. A woman that would be dismissed as... as, uh, a categoric failure. 
you know, uh, no one of insignificance, or no one of any significance at all. It, it's a story that's told in John chapter 4. It's about a woman who was a foreign woman. It's about a woman who was not Jewish. It's about a woman who was sinful. In fact, uh, we're only going to read part of the story, but let me just describe uh, how it comes out in the story, what kind of woman this was. Jesus told her, she's, he said, you've been married five times. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And she was amazed that he knew that about her. And just think, if he knew that about her, he was even more amazed that she was even more amazed that he would talk to her, that he would consider her worthy of his time because the whole village had rejected her. But Jesus demonstrated to his disciples and to the village that every person, every person in this room, every person listening to these words is important to him. There's no such thing as an insignificant person. And he had a very significant conversation with her that we still study to this day. Let's look at it from John chapter four, beginning at verse four. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Samaria is in the heart of what is modern day Israel back in Jesus' day. Most Jewish people never walked through Samaria. You know, Jesus was up in the northern part of Galilee, which is northern part of Palestine. And uh, Jews didn't go through Samaria because Samaria was populated by foreigners. Way back in the Old Testament, when Assyria conquered this land, it was their idea to, re- to displace people so that they could destroy nationalism. So they took the Jews that were there and they displaced them somewhere else and they took people from somewhere else and put them there. These were not Jewish people by birth. But yet there was a belief that they should worship the God of this region and that God was Jewish. And so they brought back some Jewish teachers to teach these foreigners how to worship the Jewish God. Well, the the Jews despised them because they thought they were Jewish and they said, you're not Jewish at all and we'll have nothing to do with you. There were other reasons as well. But so they did not like each other. They did not talk to each other. They did not travel together, did not travel through the same country. But Jesus takes his disciples right through the very heart of this foreign country and he uh, engages in a foreign woman. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria, actually the capital of Samaria, Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, it's still there. In fact, if uh, you ever make a trip to the Holy Land, you can still drink water from Jacob's well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down near the well, for it was about noon. It gets pretty hot. You know, in a, in a country like Israel at midday, and it was extremely hot, he was tired. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, it was noon, she came to draw water at noon. Most ladies, most children, uh, servants would go and draw water in the morning when it was cool, it was hard work. But she came at noon to avoid those people who despised her. Uh, she was an outcast from her own people. And Jesus said to her, please, would you give me something to drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman was shocked and said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and a woman and you're asking me for a drink? For she knew that Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for this drink, you would have asked him And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and who drank from it himself as did his sons and even his livestock? 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the water that you're talking about, will just be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, and I think these are key words, in them, a spring of water welling up within them, not the externals, but the internals, to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This story identifies in the conversation that Jesus had with her some things that sabotage our satisfaction. Here are just a few of them. When we allow others to define our standards. You know, the culture had allowed uh, certain standards to be established. Jewish men don't talk to any other woman other than their own wife or their own family, or at least uh, in a circle of friends. They just don't talk to other women. You know, in many of those uh, Middle Eastern cultures, especially in those days, women were second-class citizens not to be engaged in conversation. They had nothing to contribute. Men didn't talk to women. Certainly, Jewish people didn't talk to Gentiles. You know, why would you? That would be an aberration. You show them the proper despising that they are deserving. And certainly, Jewish people didn't talk to foreigners. So she was shocked. When his disciples came back and saw him talking to her, they were also shocked. But these are all human standards. Jesus demonstrated God's true feeling that all people have something to contribute. But this woman allowed the culture to define what was right and what was not right. We do the same. We allow our friends or at least standards of our culture to determine where our kids go to school what kind of job is respectable enough for us to have? And if we can't have that job, then we feel as though we're a failure. Who we can talk to and who we shouldn't talk to, all determined not by God, but by our friends and by the culture that we live in. What clothes we are to wear, and, and this is true for teenagers too, you know, who you respect and who you don't respect, who you invite to your parties, who you don't invite to your parties. You know, what neighborhood you live in, you know, it's respectable, or, or you at least discount it and say, well, we're just getting started. Eventually, we're going to, as though there's something improper or not to be respected about the situation you find yourself in. Let me just say that no one ever made an important contribution in life by following everyone else and doing what everybody else was doing. Impact players in the game of life, I don't care what your business I don't care what your relationships, the people that make a difference always chart their own course. And God has created each of us distinct and each of us different. And, and even in your own family, uh, you know this, that you think differently, you look at things differently. And that's a wonderful thing that God has made us to be. But if we all act as though conformity is the standard and we let the standard of everyone determine our attitudes and what's valuable to us, then we will not be what God wants us to be. You will never hear the prompting of God if you're busy listening to the noise of your life and everybody else is feeding in to what you should be or should not be. That woman understood it. Jesus' disciples understood it. The whole culture understood it. Jesus refused to accept it. Those are things that sabotage satisfaction. Or when we walk by sight and not by faith. What did this woman say to Jesus? 
said, sir, the woman, uh, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? You know, she was only dealing with possibilities. She said, there is water here, but this living water that you're speaking of, how could you even draw it? Well, you can't even draw the water that's here. You don't have the ability to do so. We're only trained in our culture to think about what is possible, not what is impossible. And yet we say we're people of faith. We say that our prayer connects us to the God who created heaven and earth. We say that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has given us acceptance before God's throne in heaven, not just when we die, but even when we live, so that we can ask anything. And if it's God's will, it could be granted. Do you pray like that? Do you pray in expectation of God granting you a miracle? We accept limitations as usual. We don't often pray in expectation. We walk by sight and not by faith, but the Bible says we should walk by faith and not by sight. And you recognize it when you see it. You know, I've, in the course of my ministry, I've certainly preached thousands of messages, and I remember only a handful of them. But one I remember is uh, significant because it was from my grandfather. I'd been a pastor only a couple of months when my grandfather died, my mother's father. And uh, Carl Sunderman was his name, Grandpa Sunderman. And, and he was, uh, he was uh, a settled man. He was a man that people looked up to, a pillar in the community. He had an eighth grade education only. His wife didn't even have that. Back in the day, it wasn't important. He was a farmer. But yet, he walked to the beat of a different drum. And I was asked to come home and preach for his memorial service. And uh, I remember struggling, like, this is a man, I'm probably a pastor because of him and the influence he had on my family, the influence he had on me as a child. You know, just, uh, just a steady, quiet, gentleman kind of guy, the salt of the earth. And I said, well, what text could I possibly preach before my own family and before the friends who knew him as he was? And, and uh, God prompted me to preach this text because I think it was true of him. And it's from Hebrews chapter 11 that speaks about all the great heroes of the Old Testament, mentions them all, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and what they did and how God used them. And I thought this passage that speaks about them, it spoke to my father and uh, my grandfather as well. It's from Hebrews 11. All these were living by faith when they died. Most of them did not receive the things that were promised. You know, Jesus didn't come during their lifetime. They were still expecting them, still waiting for them, and that affected the way they lived. They only saw them, the promises, and they welcomed them from a distance. And they acted like they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They marched to the beat of a different drum. And it was obvious to everybody who knew them. You know, they were in the culture, but they were not of the culture. You know, they had different standards by which they lived. For people who say the things that they say and did the things that they did were like from a different country. And I'm not talking about a country on earth that they could have gone back to that. No, they were talking about a heavenly country. They were a part of that country. And therefore, I love this passage, therefore God was not ashamed to be called their God and he's prepared a city for them. You know, when those people move through the earth, you see the difference. You know, people who walk by faith and not by sight. Didn't mean that they were uppity. Didn't mean that they were superior to anyone else. In fact, they were humble. They were gracious and willing to give because they knew that in that kind of life, they had the greatest impact and they could represent the attitudes of Jesus. They walked by faith and not by sight. Walking by sight and not by faith is satisfaction sabotage. When we focus on our wants and not our true needs, we sabotage our satisfaction. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
You know, if you make the priorities of your life, if you think you're going to find satisfaction in the things that are temporal, you're, you're about to be surprised because temporal by nature means they are passing away. I saw an article on, on, my, uh, on my internet homepage the other day that talked about 25 things that all men should take out of their closet and burn. You know, things that they used to think were cool, things that they used to think they had to have. And they went through a whole list. I'm not going to mention them all. Jean shorts, especially cutoff jean shorts, men shouldn't wear them. Or that go-to shirt that you have when you go on a big date or you want to make an impression, stop it. It's probably not as important as you think. Anything camo, you know, should burn it. (laughs) Anything that has flames on it, you know, that was hot at one time. Beanie hats, they look good on little children during the winter, but they don't look so great on men. Uh, The old Adidas sandals that had that one strap that went across the arch of the foot. After I said that last night, somebody came through a comedian and had Adidas sandals (laughs) on So, wow, he just smiled. <laughs> Anything that's tie-dyed or men shouldn't wear beaded necklaces. I, these, are, these are trends that come and go. At one time, they thought they were a good idea. They were a must-buy. You know, they were a must-have. The other day, I, I'd been traveling a bit, and I, I got back, and it was, it was still early afternoon when I, when I landed about 1.30, and, and Carol says, I am stir-crazy. Get me out of this house. We need to go see a movie. So we went to Wernberg, which is, I guess, no longer Wernberg anymore, and I pulled out my Wernberg frequent flyer card, uh, whatever they call it, you know, a patron's card or whatever, and, and uh, they could convert it, I guess, to whatever the new system is. I'm, I'm not even sure. But uh, as I pulled out my cards and I started to look for it, uh, Carol says, you still have a Blockbuster card in there? I said, oh. You would not believe what I have in here. And I, I showed her a BOGO coupon, you know, buy one, get one free, that it expired last November. A rain check for a golf course I like to play that was from 2015. <laughs> and a credit card from a bank that no longer exists. She says, give me your wallet. You know, they're just temporary. They don't provide ultimate satisfaction. They serve their purpose but they are only an end to a means. They are not an end. They are only a means to an end. They are not an end. You know, we have to walk by sight to not by faith. Focus on what we need, not what we want. What are the keys to true satisfaction? Well, let me, let me tell you straight up. There's a passage that I could have just quoted and sat down and said amen, but there's a problem with doing that. This is the passage. We've used it before. I've talked about it before. So has Pastor Garrett from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul talking to the young man, Timothy, who's going to take over his ministry. And he says, this is what should be the priority of your ministry. He said you should command people. And before I said, you know, he didn't even say suggested or urge it. He said, command those who are in this present world not to be arrogant, not to be prideful, or to put their hope in the things that they've acquired, their wealth. Because that's so uncertain. No, let it be the thing that wells up within them, of which Jesus said, if you would known the gift I could give you that would well up to eternal life, put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, don't suggest it, don't encourage it, but command them to do good and be rich in good deeds. To do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation, a good way to build your life for the coming age, for your whole future, so that you may take hold of life that is life indeed. The problem with that passage is if, if you don't have the right perspective, those just become onerous rules. If you don't understand how much God loves you, 
and what he has done for you in Christ Jesus, then his expectations are just demands. And that's why a lot of people don't want to be a part of the church because it's going to inhibit their freedom. It's going to build fences that they want to, that they want to break away from when in fact it's not that at all. But you don't know that if you don't have Jesus. It starts there. You know, some keys to training true satisfaction, it begins and ends with Jesus. If you were to ask Jesus, why did you come into the world, Jesus? He answered the question. In John 10, he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He hasn't come to lay down rules for you to follow, even good rules that will make you better and, and make an impact in the world. No, he's, he's come for you to give you something, not to demand something, but in giving you something, that will definitely change your perspective on life. It will definitely make you an impact player in the game of life. And doing all that will bring true satisfaction to you. It does begin and end with Jesus, only Jesus. Years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, uh, in this church, uh, we started to dip our toe in the, in the idea of mission. Mission now has become an entire department in our church. Uh, God's really blessed that. But back in the day, we were invited to become a, a part of a team of three churches a church in, uh, in Webster Gardens, a church in Kirkwood, and our church. We formed the team's ministry, the East Africa Mission Society. And we went to Kenya, and, and what was carved out for us was to work among the, tu- uh, the Pokot and the Tukana people across the Rift Valley. We were, landed in Nairobi. We took a little, a little uh, one-engine plane, uh, missionary pilot. That was a trip. You know, to fly over the Rift Valley in, in darkest Africa, uh, being out of total communication with anybody back home, and go up and we, and we, uh, we connected there with Leif Tingbo, who was from Norway. Now, Leif Tingbo and the Norwegian Lutheran Mission Society had decided to establish a Christian outpost there. This was the darkest part of Africa. These villages still raided each other, especially if they got drunk. And you would see dead bodies along the side of the road. It, it, was, a, it was a tough culture. But Leif had been there for a while, and he was gracious, and he, he brought medicine to them, and, and, and so he was uh, accepted. There were no roads there, and we went on his Land Rover back up into the, into the area. When he first got there, which was about two years before we joined with him, uh, he noticed all the immoral goings-on in the culture. Witchcraft was the na- major religion. Uh, witch doctors had fear and power in that country. Uh, there was female circumcision, mutilation. There was scarring of the people. All of these things to somehow serve and prove themselves worthy to their culture and to their gods. Uh, uh, polygamy, a stealing of each other's wives and cattle. And you'd see, you'd see camels from the desert regions up in the mountains because they'd gone down and robbed them and stole them. There was drunkenness. And the first thing that the missionaries began to do was to address those moral failures of their culture. And he said, for two years, we made absolutely zero impact. It was futile. He said, we got to do something different. They took a half time. And they said, we got to teach them about Jesus. We got to forget this moral stuff and just talk to them about Jesus. And so we helped them purchase some generators and uh, some film technology. And so they would go way back up into the, uh, the darkest parts of uh, the Takana and Pokot people, northwest uh, Kenya. And they would begin to run these generators. And people would come, 200 people at a time, and they would just run these films. And, and uh, Leif spoke uh, Swahili extremely well. And they translated these films for them. They began to teach them about Jesus. And you know what happened? They began to address the culture issues in their own lives. They didn't even have to talk about them anymore. When they began to know about Jesus, they began to know what was right and what was wrong. You know, when you turn the light on, the darkness goes away. 
If that's true in Africa, that's true also in our life. I'm I'm not just acting preacher here when I say you need to draw close to Jesus. When you draw close to Jesus, your life will be so much clearer. Clarity will come and, and you'll find the satisfaction that you desire that you'll never find from outside. Jesus said it will well up inside you. It's not the externals, it's the internals that provide true satisfaction. It's absolutely true. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, only Jesus. It looks like it's going to be burdensome when in fact it's renewal. In fact, it's freedom. In fact, it's insight. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, God promises. And it's absolutely true. It begins and ends with Jesus. But we should never settle for mere success. You know, as as thinking that success will provide satisfaction. You know, it is possible in this world to have money in the bank and starve. But that's just a metaphor. It's possible to have rich resources and be dissatisfied. It's impossible to have all the truth of God at your disposal and not understand it. God wants to open that door for you. He wants you to realize that in engaging him and drawing near to him, you will find the significance that success will never provide. I love the prayer of St. Francis. We use it often in our church. I'm not gonna quote the whole thing, but I like the ending where it says, for it is in giving that we receive. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? It is in pardoning others who have wronged us that we find our peace, that we find our pardon, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's not the way the world thinks, but it's the way God encourages you to think. Not mere success over your enemies, but significance. And finally, to prioritize God's promises in your life. Not take the promises and prioritize them, but make God's promises the priority of your life. To count on them and to expect them, because that's not what we expect. In fact, we probably don't even know all the promises that God has made about our life. But he has promised to uh, give us a hope and a future, to prosper us and not to harm us. And, and I want to help you with that because the negative messages and all the messages of the world that, that try to influence what you do to seek for success are empty. And, and yet they're hard to overcome because it's a constant din in our life. Uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. Uh, Baumeister wrote uh, a paper in the review of the general psychology and he talked about how good is better, how bad is stronger than good. And, and what he's talking about is messaging. You know, all these other messages apart from God are stronger than sometimes the good messages. He says the brain handles positive and negative information in different hemispheres. Negative emotions generally involve more thinking and we process the experience more thoroughly than we do the positive messages. We tend to ruminate more on negative experiences, and we use stronger words to describe them than we do positive ones. If you don't believe this, just ask yourself, which gives you uh, the biggest uh, bump emotionally? To gain $50 or to squander $50? Which do you spend the most time thinking about? It's the negative message. So how do you build some positive in your life? This is the practical advice I want to give you, and and I want you to write this down. If you would just um, go to this site, it's 365promises.com, www.365promises.com, and you sign up there every day, 
a positive message, a promise that God has made because of Jesus Christ will come to your email box. And I guarantee you that if you allow God to speak into your life, those other messages that are speaking to your life uh, will not have such a strong influence. And you will find the peace that surpasses understanding. Let me tell you how that story ended with that woman. She was so impacted by the conversation that she had with Jesus that this woman who was shamed and despised by the village left him when the disciples came back, went running into the village and said, here's what happened to me. They were shocked. No one would talk to her and she would talk to no one. You know, she knew her place and everybody kept her in it. But she came in and says, I just, I don't care what you think of me. I, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me and what he wants to do for you as well. They were shocked by her. And because she suddenly had self-worth, they followed her out to meet Jesus. And the scripture goes on to say, some believe because of the transformation that occurred in her life and some believe because of the word that Jesus spoke to them. And the whole village, the disciples and this woman were forever changed by an encounter with Christ. Only Jesus, only Jesus. So I, I grant you that, I give you that, and I pray that you'll, you'll take it and realize the power of it. Let me leave you with a blessing. Gracious Lord, come into our life and, and help us to realize that, that it's not childish to say Jesus loves me, this I know, or, or to realize that this little gospel light of mine has a tremendous influence. It, it, it's, it's to begin with you so that we don't just try to look at your expectations as rules that must be followed, even if they're good rules, but rather it's a life that I want to embrace because it comes from a God who, who loves me and who wants only the best for me. Lord, change my perspective that I might change my world. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you please rise with me and uh, join in the confession of sins as we prepare to receive this special meal for the forgiveness and the strengthening of our faith that the Lord himself has provided for us. We pray. We attempt to fill our lives with things that don't last looking for true satisfaction in possessions, others, things, and experiences. We focus on the creation rather than the creator. Intercede, dear Lord. Enable us to focus on the eternal satisfaction that only Jesus provides. Reveal yourself to us. Grant us clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me remind you of that passage where Jesus says, Come unto me. You who are weary and heavy laden, who are wore out, you know, searching for true satisfaction. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls because my way is easy and my burden is light. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Christ through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of Jesus in the same way also he took the cup and after supper he gave it to them saying this is the cup of the new covenant confirmed in my blood which is shed for you for the remission of your sins this do as often as you eat and as often as you drink in remembrance and proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior Amen we welcome the volunteers to come forward and guide us in our distribution of this special meal prepared for those who love the Lord.